and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, a jam-packed show. We'll recap what was a turnover field victory for ETSU versus the Citadel. We'll also talk one of our new accidental favorite segments, Portal Watch. Is that the official name? All right. It is. The Southern Conference Basketball Portal Watch. There we go. And, of course, we'll recap. Oh, yeah, we will. I'm sorry. I can't hear you. You want to recap what? Bold predictions. because somebody was great. Somebody was mediocre. I'll let you guess which one was which. Starting to look grim, Jay Sandos. Starting to look grim. We're running out of shows here. How yeah. Got? That's what I like. About Four or five. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Not looking good for you. All right. Well, let's talk about the game down in Charleston, South Carolina. And it was interesting. Okay. Um, I just how everything sort of played out. The defense has been well, what the defense was expected to do. The offense had moments where it was really clicking and going, but I thought I knew it was going to be an odd day when Keltner missed a chip shot and, right, right. and in into the wind that in the kick his kick was so far right it cut through the wind and still stayed on that side of the. Field goal post. So that sort of told me what type of day it was going to be. But it really started for the Citadel. You can't make up more horrific starts to a game. On their first game against Mercer, it was the opening play. It was a 75-yard touchdown. Technically, it was the fourth play of the game for uh, the game against Chattanooga, but it was Chattanooga's first offensive play. And in Western Carolina – takes the opening kick, and three plays later scores a touchdown. First offensive play, I think it was like a 36-yard run with a 15-yard penalty. Exactly. Now you're talking about ETSU's offense wasn't even on the field, and it was the second play of the game touchdown, and Tyree Robinson should buy like a condo down in Charleston because everything happens uh, well for him down there as he played ridiculous again. He bookend the game with a second play of the game touchdown, and I know Colton Lake sort of slowed up uh, Llewellyn on the sweep, Sam Llewellyn for the Citadel to try to convert that last fourth down, but it was Tyree Robinson that really put the hammer down to make sure that there was no second effort and kind of cleaned it up. Lake's kind of stymied him a little bit, but if Robinson didn't come over and make the play, it would have been a first down with ease, and so he bookends plays again. I mean, it's unbelievable what he's been able to do down there. I'll give you a comparison. It looked to me, and you were there, saw every play. I saw only spotty little parts of the game because I was in baseball, but Troy Palomalo. I mean, a guy just flying up and just making a beeline for these plays that I'm not sure if he just scouted extremely well and he may have known what was coming. It obviously can be multiple dimensions within a one-dimensional offense, if that makes sense. You know, like there's a lot going on in the one dimension, but you are probably going to get outside of maybe the five to eight pass attempts they have the entire game. You're going to get pretty much the same thing. But it would be... You know, you'd have your camera angle, and you'd see a guy just, I mean, a dart, just a missile. Uh, Anything that was moving, it was uh, Tyree Robinson. And this is why you hear people say that when he's at his best, a lot of these guys that are on this ETSU football team, opponents will say this about him, he's one of the most impressive players that they've ever played against or with. And some have said to me that he is the best player that they've ever played against uh, or with. And so – you see, and Randy Sanders had an interesting explanation of it last week, you see what he's capable of when he is locked in, not trying to do too much, as Coach Sanders put it. Um, 
although you look at what he was doing on Saturday, and it almost did strike me as like, wow, he really just wants to make every play. But he was making it, you know. Um, Coach Sanders was just saying that's what got in his way last year. And, of course, he was playing with, I think it was the broken hand too, right? He wasn't 100% for most of the year. So there were a couple things working against him. But he seems to be back to that player that he was a couple of years ago when he was an All-American. Uh, he really loved the charge. And like you said, I mean, speaking of offense, you know, who, who needs a great offensive start when you have somebody like Tyree Robinson closing a game down there a couple of years ago and then starting it the way that he did. And ultimately, you know, you take that touchdown away, they could still be playing football down in Charleston. You know, I mean, it was a huge, huge play to start that game. It, it was a situation where both teams <clears throat> really couldn't get a sustained drive going. It had to come off a turnover or a change of field position or something like that. And the defense is, you know, sort of like it has in the Southern Conference. Other than a game that apparently Sanford's been involved with after the ETSU game, um, it seems like all the games are defensive if you look at most of the scoring. Every game since Sanford has left Johnson City, seems like both teams combined for 70 points a game. But if you look at every other contest, even the Chattanooga-Furman game, you know, it was 2018, just defenses are, are ruling right now. But ETSU got the first break, the fumble return for a touchdown. Then Tyler Rydell on third down, instead of eating the ball for a sack, tries to make a play. Young guy mistake, right? He fumbles in Citadel, short field, like a 19-yard drive. They score a touchdown. Then ETSU goes forward on fourth and one. Can't get it. Actually thought they had the first down. The review pulled it back. Um, needed to get a yard. Coach Sanders so eloquently at halftime just said our offense line got, a, got their ass kicked. I mean, just <laughs> flat out, there you go. I mean, I don't know how – I mean, you can't sugarcoat that anymore, I guess. He's not so, a guy to sugarcoat at halftime. No, he is not. Which I love um, And, uh, you know, he cursed a little bit at halftime, cursed a little bit postgame. That's, that's the type <laughs> of mood he was in. And he bought a buttload of ice cream as well. So he was, you know, all, ended up all in a good day. But, you know, ETSU stuffed on a fourth and one. They're 0 for 3 now on fourth down. Citadel goes 49 yards. They go over the top, big 44-yard pass play. They score a touchdown. Then all of a sudden it looks like ETSU just can't get the offense going. And then one of those weird plays as a bounce hits the gunner on one of the punt return, ETSU kind of Johnny on the spot to pick it up. Short field. And here's where the offense got clicking. They took over the short field. Uh, honestly, sort of go bang, 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 other than a, I think it was a false start penalty. Other than that, Every play was positive and a touchdown. Then Citadel takes a knee, ends the half. ETSU takes the second half kickoff. And then, boom, three, four plays, touchdown, the big 49-yard strike to Will Huzzy. And then ETSU gets a ridiculous interception from Elijah Huzzy. I mean, I thought it was – Yes, and just well played him because it looked like when I first saw it, I thought, oh, Adams just threw out of bounds. I think that's how I called it. And then all of a sudden, you know, went from zero to – Sandosisms because I'm losing my mind because I didn't realize, A, somebody could get there, and then, B, get a foot down to make the intercept. So, Eliza Huzzy gets that. ETSU able to, again, kind of go bang, bang, bang. First, I think, play with like a 22-yard pass to Nate Atkins and then off and running there for a, a touchdown for Quay Holmes. So, um, just if things happen that way, it was ETSU was taking advantage of it and was able to punch it in. But really – the three drives right in a row, the 21 points, sort of the difference maker. And ETSU, yes, took advantage of short fields on two of those. And, and the other one, they still had a shortish field because they had a nice kick return. Citadel was squibbing the whole day. And luckily one of the upbacks is Noah West. And the ball hopped, one hopped right to him. 
and he was able to pick up another 20 yards from where he picked up the ball and ATSU starting near the 40-yard line. So uh, all in all, it was a it was a banner day um, for taking advantage of short field position. There were a couple of throws again that Rydell made, but if he could have made them sooner or quicker or, as Coach said, not aim small, um, then ETSU could have had. Because one of those plays – That's right. Aim, I, I like that. Aim, uh, you know, if you – if you aim big, you miss big. And the play he was specifically – and really, honestly, both uh, the Jacob Sailors will route. And if he puts – you know, either throws it sooner, throws more. And he was throwing in the wind, but he even said, even so, if he threw it sooner, you know, he's he's making the right reads. He's just not doing it quick enough to get rid of it. And so those plays, those 30-yard plays aren't touchdowns, right? And that was a – Beautiful example because it would have been a touchdown. Nobody would have caught Sailors. Everybody was running on the other side of the field. That was set up perfectly. It was executed perfectly. The key was if you get there quicker, Sailors outruns somebody for a touchdown. That was the driver. They missed the field goal. So that goes from a touchdown to nothing. The play to Will Huzzy was underthrown with the wind, but because Huzzy was so wide open and the guy had to make so much ground up by the time he got to Huzzy and tried to make a hit, Huzzy was very easily able to sort of sidestep that, push him away, and then walk in the end zone for a touchdown. The the reads and stuff are still there. They're really, the other than not getting rid of the ball soon enough, probably he made one mistake, which is where he threw into double coverage, and he you could kind of tell he predetermined he was throwing to Wilson down the middle of the field. Both safeties were high. Somebody had to be open underneath. Other than that throw, it looked like Rydell was making the right decisions in the pass game. He just couldn't pull the trigger fast enough again. On that. So, you take out the Sanford game in 2019, he had three appearances. You look at after three appearances this year, I'm going to ask you to compare the two. Because obviously what you want to see with Kyler Rydell, young, with a lot of potential, you need to see that growth. And especially considering that it's been so long between seasons, you would hope that there is more growth there than even during a regular off season. It's not damning. It's not to say that he can't make big jumps if he hasn't taken the amount of growth that you would have liked to see between 2019 and 2021. But I think it's a good point to kind of stop and say, all right, what do we have here? Okay. Let's. Do you have the numbers readily available? Uh, sure. I do. But fill like 20 seconds so I can actually do it. Okay. Because I, cause that's the only way to really, if we're going to dive into Well, that. but no one sees more of him, aside from the coaching staff and everything, than you do. So well, that's the, why I'm asking for that eye test. Well, the, we can read no, 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 no. The, sure, but I, I'm uh, sometimes though, eyes lie, right? I mean, I mean, sometimes you can – I think he is seeing the plays where he needs to be seeing them. He's following Coach Sanders' objectives on offense of like, okay, we want to get the ball to this guy, this guy, this guy, or this is read one, two, and three. And I think he's getting through the first – Let's call it two progressions. And I'd probably have to ask Coach Roy. Maybe I'll ask him this. You know, is he getting to the third and fourth progression? Because it seems like he'll go to one and two. You know, so let's say there's two guys on the right side, two guys on the left. It looks like he'll make a progression read on the right side, but he's not quick enough yet or understanding enough to get to the left side of the field, if that makes sense. So I think he's making the right reads. He's not pulling the trigger fast enough, which means he's still – not trusting to me he's still not trusting everything that he is seeing yet and i think once he gets all that trust and stuff going now he gets in he is streaky because he does get in spurts where he is anticipating he's throwing he's doing whatever and then it's like 
he needs one bad throw, and then it's like, okay, here we go. And then he goes back to caution again, right? And then first I think half, that's all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, perfect example. Perfect example. So he's starting to, and he did that against the Citadel. And, okay. and it's funny. I think he got going a little bit. Sanford, Sanford, and Citadel. I think he got going because it was a little bit of a two-minute type drill, and I think he's comfortable in that. And so because he does want to throw the football, even though I know people talk about maybe running a little bit, but he does want to throw the football. So I think the two-minute drill against Sanford at score right for half, the two-minute drill, Citadel score right for the half, I, I think those kind of help him get into a rhythm where he is throwing um, a little more confidence, a little more in rhythm, seeing things, because even though he's a little late on the throw to Huzzy, it was still a touchdown pass, but he still had big completions, I think, in – the two drives, um, I think he had 49, 15, and 22. Not in exact order. I think it was actually the other way. It's 49, 22, 15. But anyways, he had three, you know, chunk play completions in those drives. Anyways, what are the numbers? Well, here? let's preface this by saying in his three appearances this year, he's thrown the ball 49 more times than the three appearances in 2019. So there is that little asterisk that we have to throw in. But you look at the numbers and all of them are better. The efficiency is up 17 points. He was at 51% completion percentage in 2019, 61 this year, 575 yards versus 193. Again, right, right. that's going to be a little bit and, different. And, and they're letting him throw the ball down the field more now than they did last year. Sure. I, I think if you take the yardage out, what are the... Three it, touchdowns to two interceptions this year, one to nothing. Kind of a small sample size. Tough to be able to tell back in 2019, which is why I think you do need to add in some yeah. of the analysis yourself, which you, which right. you okay. did. So uh, the, the, the thing there, if you look at efficiency, efficiency and completion percentage, I think oh, those yeah. are probably the two that you could legitimately compare. Um, and they've tried a game plan with Rydell where I know they did a little bit, uh, what was it, the Mercer game. The other two was like sort of kind of relief appearances. They knew, sure. So they had a package or two for him. So I do think it clearly shows, hey, um, the throws that Trey Mitchell likes to throw and the throws that Tyler Rydell like to throw are obviously different type throws. And so I think it's interesting that you see the game plan and Coach Sanders, to me, that shows him understanding also what the quarterback strengths are. So he's been around the game long enough to know, you know, here's this. Plus, I think quarterbacks, I think we talked to Austin Herrick about this uh, during the old route tree was, you know, what, what's it like with coaching them? meeting before the game is like, you know, he wants to know what concepts, right? If I remember this correctly, what concepts do you feel comfortable against right. this defense? And yep. he tries to call those concepts to make the quarterback comfortable. So when you're, when you start where you've got maybe a Trey Mitchell starting and Rydell's going to play some, it still shortens the sheet. So it also shows, I think, you know, Coach Sanders' trust in Rydell and like he's going to make these throws. These are good throws for him. I think down the field throws are still – now, they pushed the ball down the field a little more, I, I thought, against the Citadel. They weren't as green heavy as they were against Furman. And, you know, that changes week to week depending on defenses and, and yada, yada. But I felt like they're trying to push the ball down the field a little more. Again, a couple balls were thrown behind, but they were completed. They were still big plays. So I, I like where the quarterback position is continuing to progress. I'm curious to see, again, the more weeks in a row he plays against live action, I contend the better he will be here was i think the nice thing that took a little bit of the worry away from me with his progression citadel did a good job of taking away julian lane price right in the first two games it was lane price that was the number one target so he has one catch for 12 yards but 
Tyler Idell is not just a one-trick pony and who he's finding on this receiving court and in this passing game. Because we still haven't seen, you know, Nate Adkins a lot. Just one catch for 22, which you know, technically, you know, more than he had been involved in the first couple of weeks, which, again, is good, but still just not up to the level that you'd expect. And it's got to be tough right now for Tyler Idell to not have one of the most reliable tight ends, not only in the Southern Conference, but around FCS football. Um, at least consistently out there and being able to have him at 100% because what do quarterbacks that are, I think, that play safer or are coming along in their maturation, what are they like? Running backs and tight ends, right? I mean, that's what you're going to be able to lean on. But Will Huzzy, 6 for 94. So he was able to find Huzzy even though Lane Price wasn't there. And we know that Will Huzzy can have a big game here, a big game there. The consistency maybe hasn't been there. But as long as you've got a second guy like a Julian Lane Price, then – Everything is not on the shoulders of a Will Huzzy, and as long as Tyler Idell is not locking in on that one guy, and it's easy to do, I'm sure, as a quarterback, you see Julian Lane Price, 80 yards each of the first two games. He's the one you turn to. You hit him up the seam on some of those uh, posts and, and in routes um, for those 15, 20-yard gains, and you, you just can't do that every week because defenses are going to start to key in on it. So it was good to see him have some versatility in who he was targeting, and as you said, not only do I think – he'll get better as we move along with game reps week in, week out, and getting to more of a rhythm and all, but Nate Atkins is going to get healthier. You know, There's going to be more that's introduced from Coach Sanders in terms of the game plan, and if you continue to work in you know, the running backs the way that you have specifically uh, Jacob Saylors, because he had four for 52, you know, that's, I think, one of the big objectives that Coach Sanders had this year was getting him involved more in the passing game, and so far, Tyler Idell's been able to do that. I'll tell you what, what's interesting, too. And I know people like to make fun of me, uh, especially around the office. Uh, well, that's fair. But on my first and third down sheets, right? Because sure. I, I religiously go off all these stats and stuff, and I dive into them. And really go down rabbit holes that probably are a little ridiculous at times. And I self-admit that. But ETSU had 21 first down plays. Two plays. I love you set it up and then dive right back in. Yeah. <laughs> Two plays. Of course, <laughs> just to let you know where my head's at. Sure. Two plays. On first down, went for 49 and 22, right? So that's 71 yards. That means 19 plays went for 26. And, yes, that includes some incompletions, but point being, you're looking at 19 different times, second and very long. Or, and I didn't really do it fast enough, but if ETSU had the random, like, seven-yard play, and you're talking about 18 third or second and very, very longs, and so they're daring people to throw the ball on first down, but if you look at Rydell's numbers on first down, he's 20 of 31, 64%. You know, six of those completions have gone for a first down. One went for the touchdown, the 49-yarder. And on third down, his numbers are pretty good. He's 14 of 22, 63% completion, eight first downs, and uh, two of those have actually gone for scores. So I think those numbers aren't that bad considering, again, because I dive into ridiculously long numbers, ETSU is in third and long and 54% of the time. And so if you've got third and ten, third and – there's what, seven and more? Uh, yes, yeah, seven or more. So, yeah, four to six is mid-range. So seven or more, you're talking about 54% of the time, you've got to get at least seven. Most times for ETSU, the last couple games, it's really been right at ten or more yards, nine, ten, you know, 12, 15 yards. And so I think that's what's very difficult for ETSU – because 48% of all first down plays are for two yards or negative. That includes incompletions. But you're really having a hard time when half the time you're having to work on a second and long. And they've got to figure out 
how to get and I'm very shocked because the run game has gone away and yes I understand the last two games more teams have stacked the box and they are going to but Rydell has been more efficient and they are throwing the ball a little more on first down and um, it's just they got to figure out how to get themselves in better spots because you look at it in third and short as you would expect they're 57% or 56% on third and short they're 50% on third and medium but you're 18% on third and long but you're looking at 19 attempts, third and short and third and medium combined, 22 attempts when it's long. So simple math, you're not going to be successful if you cannot get out. And right now, ETSU is averaging 7.9 yards per third down. So, again, I, I didn't – I dive in there. I know people make fun of me, but it, there's a little bit of truth to how the season has gone with those numbers. You are terrible at math except when it comes to first and third downs. Like, it is pretty incredible to sit here and listen to you work your way through that versus like – all right, Jay, so uh, you got to get across town five miles. You're going 30 miles an hour. Go. How fast you got to go? How long is it take? I got nothing. Something like that. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, the other good thing for Tyler Idell, if you say 14 to 22, 182, two scores and an interception, I'm generally going to take that. But if you say that we're going to rush for 1.4 yards per carry, I'm panicking. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what the Buccaneers did. 30 carries, 41 yards, 1.4. You mentioned the Furman game. Yes, they took away the run in that second half where they've just been so good. Um, Furman in the second half defensively. But you still like Quay Holmes 18 for 69 in a score. I'm taking that generally, too. Now, he's going to have the much bigger days, right? I think against Citadel, was it last year? He went like 36 for 166 or something because Sailors was out. Um, clearly having Sailors you know, made a difference on Saturday. 11 for 25 on the ground, but again, 4 for 52 in the air uh, with the touchdown. So, it was great to see Rydell still be able to put up those numbers, even though the running game was relatively non-existent. He kind of had to carry that offense. Now, we buried the lead, and we talked a little bit about it earlier with Tyree Robinson, but the defense, of course, put them in some really, really good, and special teams, right, with the muff punt, put them in some really, really good positions, and offense ends up scoring 21 points. You know, would have been enough to force overtime, but that defensive touchdown big. The defense is just playing out of their mind. So 236 is what they allowed to the Citadel. I don't know if people have paid attention to Furman and Sanford. We know Furman, right, but I think people tend to write off Sanford a little bit. Those are the top two offenses in the league when it comes to scoring, and I think with total offense, it's two of the top three. And against the three opponents that you have faced, if you include Furman and Sanford, you've allowed 845 yards, and those three are combined averaging 1,145 yards per game. So you've held them. 300 yards below the average of the three put together. I mean, that's pretty impressive, especially considering it's not a Western Carolina and a Citadel every single week. And speaking of Western Carolina, we'll talk about that on Thursday because uh, I think the defense is going to be licking their chops against the Catamounts. But when you're talking about a couple of the top teams in the league on offense, at least to this point in the year, you look at the secondary with what Hudson's doing, with what Robinson's doing, you look in the linebacking core with some of the depth, and you look up front, I mean, I was certainly concerned I was very concerned that the inexperience and the lack of depth on the front three was going to hurt against a team that runs the ball with the proficiency that Citadel tends to, 2.3 yards a carry, 59 for 138. I mean, that was an impressive man's effort from guys that typically have not been called upon in these situations. I, th- I think a couple things are impressive with the defense. One, I think it's probably not talked enough about Jared Folks being healthy. Sure. I think it changes a lot of things. Sure sees the field well, uh, really anticipates things, is a havoc, you know, at times. And 
The second thing I would say is the defensive line that had so many questions. I mean, they, they still play. Elijah Wan Pico didn't even make the trip. And we're sitting there going, okay, so it's going to be a Rodney Wright and who? Well, J.B. I heard may have to play both sides of the line. Well, okay, what about Ben Brantley? Well, he's a young guy. We'll see what happens. And then they just they, they do their job. They have all bought in very quickly to after the first couple drives of Sanford where Coach Taylor convinced them, defensive line, just do your job. Right. You'll have an opportunity. Everybody make a play. And it's been that way. Somehow the transition's gone. And the thing that I think – is not understated because I think we talk about a lot is Billy Taylor is unbelievable at scheming and stopping people. Every time there was motion from an A back, the opposite linebacker run blitzed and filled a gap and almost took the handoff a couple of times. I mean, it was incredible to see how he had taken Citadel really out of what they wanted to do. And I think it's also impressive that Colton Lakes got a lot of playing time last year because folks was out relegated to coming off the bench and between him and Donovan Manuel playing the same position and that's that's something else we gotta talk about because some injuries are starting to mount up, but between those two they had twenty tackles. Yeah. You know, and so the line does their job, linebackers run and tackle. The line had some plays behind the line as well, but that's the system set up. That's how everyone is successful. But you know, it just shows that Colton Lakes was ready to do his job when asked because Manuel we're not sure. I think it was a hamstring but you could, you know, if that doesn't progress, you go without Manuel again. You know, I think it was an Achilles for Pinkleton. How is that gone? Mike Price is going to be asked, not, not asked, he's going to be told by the league he's not allowed to play the first half of the next game because he was ejected for targeting. You know, Dwayne Ruff comes in, saw some time. Chris Hope had to come in and see some time. I think it was um, Ruff that actually rolled up an ankle or something. He ended up coming back and playing. But, you know, you're starting to get now more time playing, more things, but ETSU hasn't missed a beat. You know, Blake Bockroth didn't play for a game. Jalen Porter, we saw him. Zach West was able to play. All of a sudden, Bockroth's going to miss four to six weeks. No, sir, he's a football player. Missed one week, and he's back. It's unbelievable. So, uh, the the defense is fun to watch. They have to be, and now I probably am overstating this, but they have to be the greatest short yard defense in the history of ETSU football because I – it was incredible the goal line stands that the Citadel needed three cracks from the one before eventually hitting pay dirt. We saw Furman a couple weeks, two cracks, zero. We saw, again, short yardage situations trying to get first downs on third and fourth downs that did not happen with ETSU stopping that, including the game winner. It is incredible when you think, man, the defense is going to be on our heels here. They only got a yard to go. And Citadel was finally – decided on that short yardage after they got stuffed a couple times, they finally ran something outside. They ran just a tall sweep and pulled everybody, and they got some numbers because nobody is able to quarterback sneak. That's Three quarterback sneaks from the goal line have resulted in no scores and from the one or half yard line. I mean, I mean, it's incredible to see what that front part of that defensive line, those linebackers push get. It's, it really is fun to watch. I think you and Matt Wilson are drinking the same Kool-Aid. Everything is the greatest ever. Did Wilson say that the stop on the fourth and goal against Furman was the greatest goal line stand in the history of ETSU football? I mean, you <laughs> let's, know. Let's dial yeah, it back I mean, a Well, I you, you appreciate it. You else, appreciate it. On? I thought you loved the hyperbole. Oh, it was just <laughs> over the top. I mean, I do throw in some hyperbole, but greatest in the – I just thought. This defense, though, is off to, I think, one of the greatest starts that you would find, at least in recent history, for ETSU football. 
definitely since football has been back. And defense has clearly been the better side of the ball year in and year out. Um, well, and, and some of the greatest defenses were in those mid-90 teams, but, sure. but their numbers are going to be skewed because those mid-90 teams would score 35, 40 points a game. And, I mean, just your defense is going to, at some point, be on the field to, to give up some points because people are just going into scramble mode. So, it, it, I would that, – that will be something if this continues for a few games because – You've already three, said it. The cat is out of the bag, Jason. You're already going with three, three year or three years, three games – into it, it's, it's still not a sample size. I think you still have to see, and it's not a full season. But eight-game Southern Conference, you know, you probably have to go back and say, okay, instead of doing a whole year, what what is the best Southern Conference-only defense that the Bucks have had? Mm-hmm. Just to go a little bit more apples to apples, because every once in a while, you know, one of those, you know, play one of those, Clemson give up seventy, Everybody play Miami, whatever it is, sure. So it, it happens. So in the same token, you also can skew it by, you know, if you get a Mars Hill and a, a Gardner Webb in there or something. They can skew things, too. So, if you Gardner just go selling. Yes, man. Hey, that's yes. <laughs> So, anyways, that being said. All right, you got anything else in this yeah, game? Right, we, we take a block. Okay. Let's go to uh, our favorite segment. Portal. Right after this timeout, San Sidekick. Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. seen anything different because I'm basically just going off the portal. I'm going off what I've seen on social media. Uh, I do not believe that there are homes yet for Caden Rice in the Citadel. Ooh, he's, he's still in the portal. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. All right. Uh, we're going Prosper, to Citadel, all right? Obity Doobie. Still has not made a decision from Chattanooga. Uh, Wofford, we know. Storm Murphy to Virginia Tech. Zion Richardson still out there. Okay, here's my first, here's my first beef, or at least my first challenge of you. Okay. Having some conversations about Trey Hollowell. And is he going to try and follow Storm Murphy of Virginia Tech? My contention is not possible because you see what the two that have gone to Virginia Tech now, if you include Murphy with Kive Aluma, you see that they have kind of specific things they do great, right? Storm Murphy's a great shooter. Aluma, what was very evident about him when he was at Whopper? To me, it was that he was a great athlete. Now, as it turns out, he's turned into a guy that is all league in the ACC. He put up like 15 points a game. He can shoot the three now. He's made his game into something a lot bigger, but it was very clear that he was an athlete that could compete at the Power Five level, at least when it comes to that sphere, right, like athleticism. And what do you need at the Power Five level? You definitely need athletes. Storm Murphy, people have said, well, how is he going to fit in? He's not going to be able to drop 18 a game there. I don't think they're going to be asking him to drop 18 a game there. I think he's going to be a role player. I think he'll probably be 
a sixth man, seventh man that comes in, plays his role, shoots, knocks down 40 to 45% of his threes, probably averages six to eight points a game. If they're asking him to come in and be the top scorer, no, it's not going to work out. But back to Trey Hollowell, there are two guys that have gone in. You know, one has had success. The other I think will have success if they keep him in a role and don't ask too much of Storm Murphy because I think he is limited in some ways when it comes to translating to the Power 5 game if you take him out of that role. But Trey Hollowell, what does he do great? Would he be someone that could go and play at that level? Would Mike Young want him at that level? Does Mike Young see the potential for him to succeed at that level? I would doubt it because I think he's a very solid player. I do not believe that he is someone that could make it at a Power 5 school because there isn't the one thing that he does better than everybody else. Uh, Agreed. I I think he'll be a mid-major guy. Um, I'm sure he's doing what everybody else is doing, to sit and wait and see who's going to offer, who's going to talk to me. But, yes, I don't believe his game translates to the next level. I think – Clearly, Mike Young knows what does does and doesn't. So, um, and I'll be kind of curious because Couture is the starting point guard as Murphy coming off the bench says the Trumpleaders got side by side. But let's be honest, if you had Murphy and Couture as a one-two punch, uh, I think you feel pretty good about that. And as long as you let Storm Murphy be that number two. Again, I don't think that you want him as a a number one. Totally agree. He could totally prove me wrong, no doubt. But I think that he would be a phenomenal backup sixth, seventh guy when it comes to that squad. Uh, Michael Hewitt Jr. is still out there for UNCG. The six that are in the portal for Sanford <laughs> doesn't look like I've made a decision either. It's Prendergast still without a home from Mercer. BMI, of course, Tragen Fall, Greg Parham, Miles Lewis still available. Furman, the only team now that does not have a player in the portal in the Southern Conference, and that is because, Jay Sandos, we have seen Western Carolina and your ETSU Buccaneers with with Western, you'd say more of a mass exodus. With ETSU, you've got Paul Smith and Truth Harris. Let's go one by one here. So, with Western Carolina, Mason Faulkner, Matt Halverson, Travion McRae, and Tyler Harris all entered. Do you believe that that has to do directly with how the season went, the man that is running the program? Yes. Do you think they're just testing the waters? Oh, oh wow. Oh, I think it's the they're way the right season in. went, the way he um, – I think it's a bad sign – when ETSU won at Western, we had did the postgame show. We had wrapped up, packed up my gear. I stopped and talked to Gary Ayers and Daniel Hooker. One was doing play-by-play radio, one doing play-by-play of TV for Western. Known those guys a long time. And when we got done talking for a while and chuckling and we started carrying gear, then they broke the team meeting, the postgame team meeting that was an hour and a half long. That's how you know you don't have the team. <laughs> There's nobody in the world. And I – I'm going to have to ask. I never understood why coaches, some coaches do this. If you just played a two-hour game and you got lambasted, let's keep them in the locker room for an hour and a half to lambaste them some more. Like, I get you want to come back 6 a.m., wear them out, different tone set, but I have never seen that work in my entire life. And I've seen it done at other schools. I've seen it done at ETSU. I've I've just never seen that be successful. And you could tell the way Western sort of played that they had – they were playing for themselves. They weren't playing for each other. They certainly weren't playing for their coach. And so, yes, I am not shocked that Mason Faulkner, wanted, he was disingenuous the whole time, unless he was shooting a game winner. He could have cared less, I think, for the most of the season. You know, for Halverson, the problem is I'm not real sure. Over, I mean, he shoots, but there's nothing else. You know, he doesn't defend. He's not really that great of a ball handler. He just shoots. Storm Murphy-like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It doesn't do the other intangibles. 
right. Right. I mean, Murphy distributed Murphy. I mean, if you and look he's a better at, score. Murphy just overall is a better score. Uh, Murphy's overall better player. Yeah. I mean, so I, I just think, but but Halverson could be on a roster coming and hit some shots. I mean, no doubt. you know, I think certainly, and I think it's smart for him. Faulkner, I'm, I think he's going to try to go to the next level. I'll, I'll be curious to see what he'll find a place to. Uh, absolutely, his numbers, triple double machine. You look at some other things. He could say, "Well, my co- I mean, there's some things you could do." Tyler Harris is interesting because I think he had a lot of upside on, on what he was doing. And me and you were both McCray fans. Yep. We never saw the floor, so yep. I think those four losses are are huge. Those are tough. And we'll see if anybody else joins that, or if some of those guys are like, "Nope, see you." That was our problem. Um, you know, and I don't. I, I think Faulkner, if I had to guess, would be the problem child of the group. And if there was something else behind closed doors, but they still got a few guys that could play, right? Cork's still there. Um, Love Cork. Uh, Dixon, who's the, uh, the transfer from uh, Presbyterian? Not Dixon. Uh, oh, Corey Hightower. Corey Hightower. Yeah. Corey Hightower. So <clears throat> they still got that. They still got those two guys. Um, they still got a, a chance to, to do whatever. But yes, I think. All, I think all those guys got a shot to land. The only one I think has a shot of landing at a higher level, um, and I could be wrong still because I'm not sure how these are going to fall out. There's so many guys out there, but I think probably Faulkner's a guy that could land the highest. So that's what I wonder. With so many people out there, now that means more spots on rosters, right? So there's more places for people to land, but it does seem like this is going to be – and now you talked about it last week, actually, how the ACC has approved the transfer from the conference, don't have to sit. I've seen some steam now being gained on the NCAA side just as the overarching governing body about passing a rule that will eliminate the restriction on players having to sit here after transferring, at least for this coming year. And if you think there's a lot of people in the portal now, and by the way, I saw at least 300 more. I kind of read about 300 coming into today. And if you scroll all the way up to – I know you're looking at it right now – you scroll all the way up to the top of the portal, and you look at recents, there's, I mean, the list is too long to count of people that just put their names in in the last day. So it is a lot, and it's only going to grow, especially if the NCAA does end up passing that rule. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, yeah, are the Power Five, especially because this is a free year, right? This is a free year, so guys don't have to move out if they don't want. They can stick around and – I think it's going to be a mixed bag there. Maybe some people that have professional prospects are going to go, some that don't and want to prove themselves to stay. So you can only over-sign if the number of seniors at your school stay. I think think Mm, that's a little bit of confusion. So, for example, ETSU has four seniors. None of them that I know of have said they're going or whatever. Let's just assume they all come back. Then in theory, ETSU could have 17 scholarships for one year. And then they got to get back down to the 13 the next year. But you can't have two scholarships open, sign five of these guys, go to 17, and say, well, it's a, you know, we get to do that. The only caveat is you – so the one thing that sort of stinks for high school kids and some others, it's going to be a tough year to get scholarships because all these free-year guys, and there's plenty. There's at least 150, 200 guys that will be gobbled up, I think, in the next week that normally would not be allowed to play college basketball anymore, so that's at least 150, 200, maybe more than that, that you look at it, take opportunities away. So there's unintended consequences no to doubt. all this. But I, the the misconception is, well, it's free year and you can sign and everybody, so you can get a, it, you, you have to have the number of seniors that are on your roster that stay. That's how many you can sign over. So if ETSU has two guys leave, then they can have 15 on scholarship as opposed to 13. 
If all four guys leave, then you've got 13. So just do the math that way. And that's what everybody else is dealing with. So I think it's popular sometimes. Like, well, it's got transfers. They won't count against whatever, and they can sign. That's not how that's working. So I want people to understand that, too. Yeah. I certainly wasn't. I'm just looking at the fact that there are so many more players that are going to be eligible. Just maybe general. It's a numbers game. Maybe they'll all go to UT Martin. They had two more guys put in. They got 15. Oh, no, they, they got 15. No. 15. Uh, okay, let's, 15 talk, let's talk about the sad fact, the sad reality. We're saying goodbye to Paul Smith and Truth Harris. Now, you did kind of foreshadow it on the last couple of shows. I think it didn't necessarily take inside information. It just took a look at the roster, a look at some of the late-game substitutions when ETSU was up really big, and some roster additions that may have gotten in ahead of some others and just maybe the – point guard position situation in general, maybe the writing's on the wall and the fact that there's going to be you know, more guys coming in that will be able to play over a Truth Harris or a Truth maybe thinks that will compete for time or just flat out start over him, get minutes over him. Um, he obviously didn't play a lot this year. I think he's a tremendously talented player. It's sad to me that he's not going to be at ETSU because when he figures out the college game, he's going to be a terror for opponents because he's got all the tools. Uh, for Paul Smith, I think that's some of maybe what we were talking about a little bit You know, before I went into that bit about Truth Harris is that, yes, you saw how things went, the direction that things went for his season, and it just did not appear that he was in favor with a lot of um, the coaching staff this year. Uh, now, that being said, can a guy develop? Can a guy mature? Can a guy continue to get better and work his way in? Yes, but I think for Paul Smith, maybe he – didn't feel like this was the place for him to do that. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, he came off an injury. No doubt. You know, senior in high school, how was he going to be able um, to deal with that? How was he going to be able to go? It seemed to be a crowded center position because he's a five, and they already had three guys playing there last year. You know, you know, obviously Silas Adeke was the starter the entire season. Then you saw Richard Moffley at first. Then you saw Charlie Weber. Then you saw a little bit of mixed bag of both. But Paul Smith is going to be four, and he, let's say a decade is coming back, then Paul Smith is going to be four again because Charlie and Richard Moffley are going to be right there again. So it's either a numbers game and he's going to be fourth or a situation where he practiced with them all year and realized, hey, maybe, maybe I need to go somewhere else. Maybe I need a different style. Maybe I need to whatever, you know, fix my game. Maybe my, my knee or whatever it was is still not right. right. I mean, there's a lot of things, but, yeah, I think – he was the one I think that wasn't going to shock anybody. Sure. I think from that point forward, I don't know if shocking's the right word, but there's certainly, you know, you kind of made you go, huh, a little bit. Like, oh, okay, you know, he's going. So if anybody else hits the portal, I will sort of do the same thing. If it's a senior graduate person looking to, you know, David Sloan, for an example, played at a Power 5, does he want to try to go back to a Power 5? Does he want to stay and have a bigger role at ETSU? You know, does Bonnie Patterson want to stay and play another year? What about Silas Hideki? He could probably go make money, you know. And he's already got a degree um, working on a master's. He could do that online. What does he want to do? So I think it will be interesting to see sort of what these four seniors do and how they decide what they're going to do moving forward. So I we'll, we'll see exactly what what they're going to do. And so if they go, you know, to me, for like Bonnie Patterson, you know, he's here a couple of years, he did his thing. You had a couple of transfers you knew you are going to have for a year or two. 
um, Sloan, right, was a redshirt. No, really, he was a senior. So he was a senior as well. So, you know, he came and played the one year you were expecting him to play. So for him in a decade, you know, everyone sort of played their time here that that did. So those aren't as shocking. I think when you get a Bo Hodges last year, right, and then where he had a year to go, he was approaching legendary status. He goes, that that's head scratch. When – Davian Williamson says, I want to go live in the house I grew up with with my mother and my family and play in the ACC. Okay, I got it. Totally. If it was going into his senior year, it was still a little bit of a head-scratcher, but I get it. Hodges was the one that threw you off because it was like, you know, you, you went to Butler. There was no tie. There's no nothing. There's this. And, again, I watched a lot of Butler games. I pulled for Bo Hodges to do well. Still pulled for Bo Hodges to do well. Watched a lot of David Williamson games. Watched a lot of Steve Forbes games. I mean, situation where I think those are the Hodges with head scratcher, I guess, going back to my original point, I don't think Williamson is. If a couple of the seniors go, I get it. And it's to me, it's not a big of a head scratcher. If we have any more go that aren't, you know, and I'm, I don't want to name names, I don't want somebody to think I have inside information, but if X player goes, I think I will be shocked from this point forward, or at least scratching my head a little bit, unless it's one of the seniors. And then, you know, depending on what their motives are or, or where they're going to go. I mean, I think Sloan could probably play somewhere, uh, whether that's um, a higher-level point guard, whether he tries to play professionally. So I already told you I think Silas could. I think Bonnie's going to have a hard time playing anywhere than mid-major basketball. So he may be the one that was like, uh, you know. And to be honest with you, I think he knows his role and plays it well at ETSU. So, personally, I'd like to see Vonnie come back. But if he decides to go somewhere else, I get it, too. Let's dive into the portal. So, we do this every week. It's, I guess, only the second week of it, so I can't say this is a long-standing tradition. But uh, we will look at some players that you should not expect to see at Southern Conference schools. Get excited about because you see the names, and you're like, oh, the portal, this is amazing, but probably not going to end up at Southern Conference school. You have seen many leave from Minnesota. University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. Don't get too excited, Southern Conference fans, about Marcus Carr or Jamal Mashburn Jr. coming anywhere near the SoCon. Carr, the leading scorer for the Gophers. Mashburn averaged eight per game. Both of them just really out, it seems like, because of Richard Patino's exit now at New Mexico and possibly because the Gophers are god-awful all the time, almost every single season. That's why I like I've been alive. Uh, Carr also looking to go pro if the opportunity is right. Um, so don't expect that either of them will be talking to a UNCG and ETSU affirming. Wofford, so on and so forth. Uh, what is going on in Ohio? Is it just the state is terrible? People don't like the state of Ohio? Um, because Cincinnati has six players in the portal all this past week. Xavier had three. Now, Xavier's three were all bench players. C.J. Wilcher, a freshman, played in 15 games. Kai Kai Tandy played a bit more extensively. A shooter like Wilcher. Ramsey played in only one game, but is 6'9", 233. Interesting on the last one, Ramsey, but I think it might be tough to persuade the other two. And, again, 6'9", 233 is good size, probably power five size, certainly group of five size. For Cincinnati, Mike Saunders, Gabe and Mason Madsen, Mamadou Diara, 7'2", 275. You know how I love my very large individuals who play basketball. Uh, But I would think that that's maybe a bit too big, especially when you're already a Cincinnati, to find your way down to a Southern Conference. Uh, Zach Harvey and Tari Eason, all outside the top four scorers. So I am left. Uh, wondering exactly what is happening at Cincinnati and its agent. Well, for Cincinnati, it's John Brannon. Nobody likes John Brannon. Wow. I don't like John Brannon. Okay. He, he played at uh, Marshall and hit a lot of key shots against the Bucks. And wow. so uh, do I hold grudges? I think you know I do. 
I didn't like him when he was at Northern Kentucky. We had the home and home, and he beat us once and uh, had a smug look on his face. So I'm going with people who hate John Brennan. Okay. I don't have any more breakdown than that, then I don't like John Brennan. Do, well, would you like to know if I like John Brennan? Uh, I do not. From what I can gather, you do not okay. like John Brennan. Since not a fan. basketball has rift between players and head coach John Brennan. Hey, look at this. I mean, the first headline that you find. There so you go. clearly there is something uh, going on there with Xavier. Uh, it seems like there's some other uh, motives as well for some of these players. And I read something about it yesterday. Of course, I'm terrible at this job, so I've not been able to uh, find exactly what it was. Um, but uh, there is a connection between Minnesota and Xavier. You know, assistant coach Ben Johnson. Oh, yeah, you, and, yeah, and he used to play, right? Oh, yeah. I remember okay. watching him play, yeah, yeah. as a matter of fact. He was uh, the type of player that uh, people that watch University of Minnesota love, which is also probably the reason that University of Minnesota has never accomplished anything in men's basketball. <laughs> the hard, gutty, fight it out, mm-hmm. like, leave it all on the court. And certainly, I love that, too, and it's the best type of player in my mind, but you have to have some really talented players on top of that, and that's where I think that uh, the University of Minnesota has struck is getting that talent. So uh, I would not expect Xavier or Cincinnati players to make their way down to the Southern Conference, though, again, with how many spots are out there, with the fact that a lot of these guys, especially with Cincinnati, look, everybody was out the, outside the top four scores that put their name in the portal with Saunders, the Madsons, Diara, Harvey, and Eason, and then you know, the fact that Ramsey for Xavier um, only you know played for a game, 6 9 that'd be good size to have in the Southern Conference. Also, uh, Ben Parrish, you know, big buck guy. Yeah. Huge buck guy, one of the biggest. Much respect to him. Threw out the name Parker Fox to me over the weekend. He was asking me about Jack Nolan a little bit, you know, key three guy that I brought yep. up in the last segment uh, who was getting some Power Five looks. And I said, I might find him in the SOCON because Power Five, who knows? Parker Fox, some say the best Division II player in the country last year at Northern State. He's heard from Creighton, South Carolina, Xavier, Butler, Vandy, Seton Hall, Texas A&M, Dayton, and many more. So when Ben Parrish asked me, what do you think about Parker Fox to the Bucks? I did a little bit of research. I said, boy, oh, that man. sounds really exciting and also completely impossible. Uh, agreed. I'm just looking at the numbers here. I mean, they're absurd. Woo! Like uh, two and, nine, right? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you look at 6'8", 210, and kind of does it all. Uh, I mean, just looking at stats, obviously I've never seen him play. I didn't know we are going to throw his name out here today, so. I want to act like I'm going to – I could lie. And, I expect and for you to be – I could give you a lot of draft tape. stuff where the upside all and all this other things, right? I mean, I could give you all the uh, sort of NFL draft garb talk if I wanted to, but just looking at the numbers and size and immediately some of the names that pop up when you just Google his name. Yes, I would assume you're not going to see him in the Southern Conference, but I would be a huge fan if he made it this way. Oh, yeah, me too. No, zero, zero, zero shot. Is that uh, what you want? Zero shot. Okay. So, possibilities for the Southern Conference. You hear some of the names, right? You hear some of the places that they've been, and you're going to instantly write me off like you always do. But Tyler Harris, Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Did you realize that Iowa State went 0-18 in the Big 12 this year? 2-22. and uh, well, I knew they were 2-22 and 22 because I, I just read the headline when they fired their coach. Oh, 0-18. There is the coaching change. So, Steve Prom out, TJ Otzelberger in. And and, uh, and uh, they hadn't talked to, like, two of their recruits since the new staff took over. <laughs> so, two guys have decommitted already. <laughs> oh. uh, the first one to enter the portal is Harris. Now, is there a possibility of a guy coming from a losing program that was as bad as the Cyclones were looking to win? There's a lot of winning programs in the SoCon. Yeah, see uh, I'm going with that? Yeah. What? How tall? He's, like, 5'9". <laughs> He said Tyler Harris, right? I don't he's five nine. Is he really five nine? Yeah. So, I would say great shot, and we could roll out two five nine one fifty. Uh, that's ah. what, that's what I'm saying. Like, I could roll out several examples of ET and ETSU fan base love their five seven to five nine point guards. 
Keith Jennings, Tim Smith, Jason Niblett. You can roll on, baby. I, this is a perfect school for a 5'9 guy. So I'm all in. I think I think we have a shot. Michael Nuga, Kent State. Okay, now let's just stick with me here, right? Kent State, TTSE. You probably don't think, or to a UNCG or to a Furman or to a Wofford, you probably don't think that that's his goal, right, going into the portal. He averaged 18 points, six rebounds per game. Only played half the year, got injured, and he's got history here going from mid-major to mid-major. Portland State to Kent State. Now is he trying to make the jump up to the group of five, power five? Perhaps. Could an ETSU, a Mercer, a UNCG be next? Because, again, we've said it often, Southern Conference, I think at least, and I think you're in agreement, has separated itself from a lot of the other mid-major conferences and has, I don't want to say joined like a group of five because obviously the resources and TV and all that is way different at those levels. But considering the RPI, considering the success, the dominance at times of the top team in the league over the last couple of years, and granted UNCG did lose to Florida State, and so you don't have uh, the dominance this year, right? It was a more parity-laden league. But I still do think that this is a step up from a Kent State, from a Portland State. 6-2-180, Michael Nuga 18-6, but again, coming off an injury, maybe wants to make one more jump. Uh, I think that I'm zeroing it. No, you don't think so. No, I, I think I th- I'm going to give a 25% chance. Okay. Why is that? You think he wants to go to a power five? You think I do. I think, I think, okay. I think in I his mind, that. again, not never meeting him and, and doing the psychology, meaning he like to do on these people, I think he's living the dream of greener pastures, although he would be more successful if he came to Southern College. Last one that I'll give you. Intriguing prospect. A call a rope. Nebraska. A call a rope. Missed the 2020-21 season with a knee injury. Previously, obviously playing for the Cornhuskers, appeared in 21 games his freshman year. Played relatively sparingly, but you listen to this resume before he goes to college. 6'5", 203, Gatorade Player of the Year in Nebraska. Three-time first-team All-State. So this, I think, is probably the most realistic of all of them because you have a guy that, again, coming off an injury, you don't know what his lift is going to be like, right? What his athleticism is going to be like? Is he going to be the same player as before that surgery? Six five two zero three. When you hear that kind of build, six five two zero three, you probably think a leaper. You probably think someone that's going to be the highest caliber of athlete. So, I think teams will want to look at that. I think some will be scared away right away at the power five level, maybe group of five level, saying, ah, you know, there's not really the long list of success at the college level like he had at the high school level, so maybe maybe he's just done at this level and he's going to go somewhere else. I think a guy like Akal Arope is someone that would be perfect for a Southern Conference program. Yes, so I'm going to give yes. him a uh, 68% chance. Portal! 68% chance. Jay Sandoz. It's the exact number. I love it. I was doing some calculations. Well, you know, there's a portal. I mean, I love the portal. That's my favorite segment every week. Alright, you know what my favorite Portal segment is every week? Let's talk about what I got right I and you got wrong. Bold predictions after I this. Santa Sidekick back in your This responsible gaming message is brought to you by the Tennessee Lottery. When you play the lottery, it's important to play responsibly. Know your limit and spend only what you can afford. Set a budget and stick to it. And remember, as long as you're having fun, you're always a winner in our book. The Tennessee Lottery is a proud supporter of National Problem Gambling Awareness Month. To learn more about problem gambling resources, visit tnlottery.com. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. Oh, yeah. 
Raiders. Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. This one loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now 1-6. Penn State. This is a life organization. Wake Forest basketball's got his man, his head coach, Steve Forbes, from East Tennessee State. And this move makes sense on a number of levels. The conference canceled fall sports on Thursday with the hope that those athletic teams can resume in the spring. The SoCon season is done. 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 Jay told me the turkey wasn't enough on Thanksgiving. He went and got two subs and a brownie to watch it burn. Just, Just disgusting. Uh, I don't know. Is the just disgusting line from Kevin Brown the best that we've ever had on a bump? Just disgusting. You can tell the genuine disgust and disdain for your appetite. For yeah, I'm fine with it. Everything that does resemble food. Yeah, that's fine. Things that resemble winning are not me this week. They are Jay Santos. With 18 and a half to 17 and a half in bold predictions, I was right there. I tried to come up with a system for March Madness. It backfired. I got four of my five upsets wrong. Georgetown over Colorado. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any Bought in. Number. Bought Winthrop, into that Big East. Winthrop over Nova. Colgate over Arkansas. Cal State or Cal Santa Barbara over Creighton. The only things I got right, the lock, Florida State over UNCG, though that really doesn't make me that happy simply because that means the Southern Conference doesn't get any of the money or the benefits or any of the stuff that's involved in winning a Southern or a NCAA tournament game if you are – a school from a conference, and the spoils cannot be reaped, and the love cannot be spread. So I'm kind of happy about that, but kind of not. And then I did have Abilene Christian over Texas. So that leaves me at 19 and a half, but you, Jay Sandoz, you have separated yourself. Let's talk about the dubs. Let's talk about the dubs, okay. Rutgers over Clemson. Boom. In probably the least interesting game in NCAA tournament history. By Boom. Way. I, it's two programs I cannot care less about on the basketball side. Boom. Uh, you had... Oh, yeah, your lock was West Virginia over Moorhead State, although, funny enough, West Virginia out in the next round. Wisconsin over UNC. It was like an 8-9. I don't think it was really an upset. Well, it was the 29-game win streak for Roy Williams, no matter how bad he's been. Book it. First-round wins until I watch a game with David Fox and he lose. Syracuse over San Diego State. Boom. Also had that. Boom. The ones you got wrong, Drake over USC. Kelsey Garbage. Harbor, you also agreed with me, and that's not a good idea when it comes to bold predictions, apparently, because. You now have a three-point lead. Insurmountable. I'm in some real trouble here. We have, I think, three more bold predictions. Yep. I think three. And so we get three each, which means I uh, – yeah, this is going to be tough. i got to find some actual really, – like di- deep dive into different things that I can do differently because obviously what I've been doing so far is not going to work. I no, agree. No systems. No systems. Maybe I should just randomly go to different lines and just be like this, this, this. Maybe I need like a, a randomization system. So it makes fun better. I almost locked, and I told you this, I was going to lock four double-digit seeds, and you said I only had to pick one team, so I picked one team, but four double-digit seeds are in season six. I was so locked into the tournament I had you. We really were locked into the tournament. Pretty impressive. I haven't watched a minute of it, so you can tell how locked in I am, and it reflects a bold prediction. And it is. Of course, I hadn't played when you made the prediction, so no excuse there. Sando sidekick, back with you. Preview, Western Carolina. Fighters Run Network! I hate both of 